Lord, I thank you. Father, that even when we are so far from perfect, you love us right where we're at. I thank you that you are conforming us into the image of your Son. And while none of us are there, none of us are even close, you, by your grace, are helping us day by day get closer. As we get into the book of Second Kings, Father, I pray that you would continue to keep our hearts open to you, to hear the things that you would want us to hear from your word tonight. By your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. When King Ahab died, his son Ahaziah took the kingdom. And Ahaziah, learning from his father's mistakes, seeing that his mother was a problem, got actually a little worse than his father. The boy learned nothing. Second Kings chapter 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. When the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, A hairy man, wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. <coughs> Moab had been brought under submission under David. When the kingdom split, uh, one of the northern kings by the name of Omri had again subdued Moab. Once Ahab died, Moab rebelled and did so fairly successfully. And we will see more of this when we get to chapter 3. There is an interesting tidbit. Archaeologists discovered a stone. Okay, that's not interesting. Archaeologists discover stones all the time. What's interesting is what was on this stone. They call it the Moabite stone. And what it actually, it outlines Moab's victories against Ahaziah, which I think is pretty cool. Um, we do need to remember that archaeology does not confirm the Bible. The Bible is true. And the Bible shows us that the archaeological discoveries are accurate. But we do not need an outside source to believe what scripture teaches us. Now Ahaziah, we're not actually told how he fell through the lattice of his upper room. we just told that he did. And so he sends messengers to inquire of the Lord of the Flies. 
literally what Beelzebub means, Lord of the Flies. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, really, it, it's Satan worship. Yeah, it's Satan worship. I'm kind of thinking the novel about feral children came later, um, by a few thousand years. But it was really Satan worship. We talked about that when we first saw um, Ahab introduce Baal worship into Israel. I did find out a fun little tidbit, though. One of the things they used to do, the worshipers of Baalzebub, is they would carry around dead flies in their pocket or their satchel or whatever they had to do. And no, they weren't allowed to eat them. They worshiped them. I don't know. I mean, of all the things in God's creation that you might choose to worship other than God, I'm not thinking of flies on the list. But, uh, but yeah, they would keep them in their pocket kind of as like a, a good luck charm. I'm pretty sure a dead fly ain't going to bring you anything except a stinky pocket. But the angel of the Lord sends Elijah with a rebuke and a message. The rebuke is quite simple. Is there no God in Israel? Right? It's an easy question. They were no longer worshiping Jehovah in Israel, at least not so much in the north. We do know from Elijah's life that there were those in the northern kingdom of Israel who were still loyal to God and had not bowed the knee to Baal. We are Baal. I always forget. Uh, We read about that in 1 Kings 19. But, for the most part, at least officially, they did not worship the one true God. And so that's his first question. Isn't there a God in Israel? Which we know there was. What's the message? You're going to die. I like the message. Right? you got to love, I love Elijah. He's, he is one of my favorites. We're going to get into Elisha tonight, Lord willing. I love Elisha too. He's favorite for a different reason. But I like Elijah. God says, go give him this message. All right, here's the message. Is there no God in Israel? You're going to die. The implication of the text is that if, it, if Ahaziah had inquired of Jehovah, he may not have died. That's the implication of what's put there. Have you ever had a choice before you, one of two choices? And, you know, one seemed like a good idea and one seemed like a bad idea. And you chose the bad idea. And immediately after choosing the bad idea, you realized quite quickly you should have chosen the good idea. I know people. um, (coughs) I won't use names to protect the innocent. That if they are presented with two choices, and one choice is, is so obviously evil, like it has evil written on it, And the other choice is so obviously good and the right choice. They will purposely choose the wrong. They know the the difference. It's not like they don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't, it's not like they don't, they can't see that going one way would be a good thing. Going the other way would be a bad thing. They just purposely go down the wrong path. And then they'll look back and they go, why is God doing this to me? Huh? I imagine, as soon as Ahaziah heard this, he got a little prick in his spirit. Man, I'm going to die because I didn't 
Ask God. Ahaziah, of course, is surprised when the messengers come back so quick. And he says, well, you know, who told you? So uh, this was this hairy guy, and he had a leather belt around his waist. You know, had some crickets hanging out his teeth. That's John the Baptist. I'm just guessing. And immediately, immediately, immediately he knew it was a lie to the Tishbite. Now, I want to just give a quick reminder. We talked about this when we were uh, introduced to Elijah. Uh, I want to talk about what his name means for a minute. Uh, remember, he is Elijah the Tishbite. And so El means God. Yah, Elijah, is the name of God. So his name literally means God Jehovah, or God is Jehovah. And the place that he's from, he's a Tishbite. It's a place near Gilead in the northern kingdom. The word Tishbi means recourse. And there are other possible uses for this word. It can mean help. It can mean way out, repay, remedy, choice, option. And I don't believe there are any coincidences in the Bible. Elijah is chosen by God's sovereignty, and his name literally means God Jehovah is your help. God Jehovah is your remedy. He is your choice. He is your way out. He is your option. But because Hebrew is so rich, it can also mean God Jehovah is the one who will repay. And that shouldn't be lost on us, the richness of Hebrew. Uh, I recently bought, I think I mentioned this last week, I recently bought a translation of the Bible called the Tree of Life version. It's, very, it's, it's, a, it's a nice translation. And what they've done is they've taken a lot of words that, that we kind of have lost the meaning of in English, and they put them back in Hebrew. Now, they have definitions, so you can figure it out if you don't remember. But they put them back in Hebrew to kind of capture the richness of the language a little better. And don't think of it like a parallel. It's still in English. It's just certain words. And then they put it in the actual order of the Hebrew Bible, which is very interesting to me. Uh, one of the reasons why is First and Second Kings are listed among the prophets. Now we have a lot about Elijah and Elisha, but if you remember all the way back to First Kings when we did the intro to the, these two books, they were originally one, and Jewish tradition tells us that Jeremiah wrote them or compiled them from uh, the royal court documents. And so... Uh, the idea that second, first and second Kings was written by a prophet makes sense since it's listed in the Hebrew scriptures among the prophets. But in the richness of that language, God, Jehovah, right? He can be our help. He can be our remedy. He can be our choice. He can be our way out. He's the one who can save us from our sins. He is the one who can redeem us from our past. He is the one that can restore to us the years the locusts have eaten. That's who he is. And if we ignore that, not us, because you're not going to do that. But if somebody ignores that, they ignore God's way out through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, then one day he will be the God who repays. I don't ever want to be on the receiving end of the God who repays. 
because we saw what Jesus took for us. We can read about it clearly. That's the wrath of God on sin. Now that was taken for me and it was taken for you. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We will never face that wrath. But it should be a good motivation for us when we think about those who don't know him. Verse 9. The king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. He went up to him and there he was sitting on the top of a hill. I want to know Elijah's thought process here. Right? This is it's just nothing here. But uh, it's not in the scripture. But he, but he meets these messengers and he's like, now what, Lord? He could go sit on that hill. Okay. It's not recorded, but I just wonder where that, why is he on the hill? And he comes up to me and says, man of God, the king has said, come down. Elijah said to the captain, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Fire came down from heaven, consumed him and his 50. Then he, and this is speaking of Ahaziah, sends him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus is the king said, Come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again he sent a third captain of fifty with his fifty men. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. He's like, listen, man of God, yeah, I got a wife. I got nine kids at home. I got a mortgage and a car payment. I'm supposed to play in a pickleball tournament on Saturday. You know, my birthday's next week. Please don't kill me. And these guys, they, they didn't do anything wrong. Please don't kill them. It's kind of sad that a hundred people had to die before the third one got it. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and he went down with him to the king. And then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to acquire Baalzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken, because he had no son, Jehoram, this is Ahaziah's younger brother, became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? They most certainly are. Uh, I, I just, I love this scene. Now, the angel of the Lord here, your Bible may have that distinguished. Um, mine has a little note. Uh, I do believe this is probably what we call a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Appearance of Christ because it makes the distinction not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. It's not something I would argue over. Um, but he finally goes down. And his message is the same. 
you're going to die. And guess what happens? Ahaziah dies. I do think it's interesting, the, uh, the difference, right? And this is not a contradiction just, contradiction, just the difference between the Old and New Testament. It's the difference between the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. In Luke chapter 9, we're not going to read it, uh, James and John uh, want to call down fire on the Samaritans who had rejected Jesus. You know, and, and these Samaritans, they, they treat Jesus poorly, and they're like, hey, you want us to call fire down on them? I can't imagine that they weren't thinking of a different passage, right? They were probably thinking of this. And Jesus says, no, you don't know what spirit you are of. Because in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant of Law, Boy, if you made the wrong person mad, the fire of God would fall and it was justified. Now, under the new covenant of grace, and I'm just going to say this, in God's justice, if he wanted fire to fall on any one of us, he would be justified in that as well. But he doesn't. Instead, that fire fell on Jesus. And we are now covered by his blood. And so while this doesn't really happen anymore under the new covenant, there is a time when it will happen again. In Revelation chapter 11, God sets up two witnesses and they call down fire to kill their enemies, anybody who comes against them, because the world is not going to want to hear what those two witnesses have to say. And fire will come down from God and kill those who oppose them. Now, there are many, I am one of them, who believes that one of those witnesses will indeed be Elijah, partially in fulfillment of uh, the prophecy that Elijah will come before the return of Christ, and partly because of Matthew 17. Matthew 17 is the reason I believe Moses is the other witness. I believe the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. There can be good biblical arguments made for, there to be, for them to be someone else. Right? So this is, I'm not, I would never be dogmatic about this. I personally believe it's Moses and Elijah because when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah appeared to him. They had kind of a staff meeting. And then Moses and Elijah went and, and Jesus they came back down off the mountain. He said, don't tell anybody until after my resurrection. Moses is a representation of the law, and Elijah is a representation of the prophets. So the idea that the two witnesses would be Moses and Elijah, I think, is, is a strong biblical case. <coughs> In the, uh, when Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man is in shale, suffering and he says father abraham do you know just send lazarus back to talk to my brothers and he says no and he says we and he goes please and abraham goes they have moses and the prophets they have the law and the prophets no but if if someone goes back from the dead they'll believe and he says if they don't believe the law and the prophets they're not going to believe if someone rises from the dead and that's so telling for us. That's why I said what I said earlier. We believe the word of God because it's the word of God. 
We don't need an outside source to tell us, yeah, you can, you can believe that. No, we believe it because it is what it is. It is the truth of God's word. And so while there are other suggestions that the two witnesses in Revelation 11 are someone else, most people agree on Elijah. Some people don't agree on Moses. Some people think it's Enoch, which is a really, it's a big stretch. But if you remember back in uh, um, uh, Genesis, I think it's five. It might not be. Um, it said Enoch, Enoch walked with God and then he was not for God took him. So some people think it's Enoch and Elijah because they were the two, two people in the Bible that never died. Um, some people think it's Zerubbabel from the book of Zechariah. It is Genesis 5. I don't get it being Zerubbabel. There is a talk of two witnesses there, but I don't think it has anything to do with Zerubbabel personally. I think it's Moses and Elijah, but I need to stop talking about that or we're not going to get to chapter 2. Oh yeah, we got time. 2 Kings chapter 2. It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, I'm just going to tell you, reading this chapter out loud is really going to get annoying for me. Just for a moment. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. This is a very cool scene to me. Elisha loved his master, and he knew it was time. I'm sure Elijah had told him. I imagine the Lord had told Elisha in two different places. The sons of the prophets, we'll talk about that in a second, told him. And in each case, Elisha said, no, I'm not going to leave my master. First Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Elisha had been given a stewardship. He was to learn and he was to become the next main prophet, not the only one, but the next main prophet to Israel. And if you remember back when Elijah said, you know, come after me, Elisha took it seriously. And he wasn't going to stop, not yet. Now, the sons of the prophets 
Uh, we talked about this back when we were in uh, 1 Samuel, I think. It was in one of Samuel's books. Uh, Samuel actually established schools for the prophets. And it was very much like a modern-day seminary. Um, but in that day, because the priesthood did not have a powerful influence at the time, they established these schools. Now, there were, the major school was in Gilgal, but there was also one in Bethel and Jericho. And they came to those two. They left, right? They, they went, to, uh, went with Elisha from Gilgal. So they were at the first school. They end up in Bethel at the second school. They end up in Jericho at the third school. So whether this was just so Elijah could say goodbye, because he would have been over these schools of the prophets, whether he was going by just to let him know, yeah, you know, Elisha is your new headmaster when I'm gone. I, whatever the case, this is what they were doing. They were visiting each of these places where the schools were. Well, now it's time for him to go, and Elisha refuses to leave. So they walk out to the Jordan, and he takes off his mantle. Um, it's a large outer garment. The only thing I could think of was a poncho. It probably wasn't a poncho. It was likely made of leather. It was meant to protect you from the elements. But he took it out, rolled it up, smacked the river, and the river parted. Now, if you remember, the last time the Jordan split was in Joshua chapter 3. And there, the priests had to walk into the water before it split. I don't know if that has any particular meaning. I just think it's interesting. Verse 9. So it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what may I do for you, for I am taken away from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be on me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued uh, as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, father the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Oh, this is, this is so good. Um, Elisha's request is bold. He, what, what would you like? I want a double portion of your spirit. Well, what was Elijah's spirit? The Holy Spirit, right? Elijah wasn't doing anything in his own power. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, just as we are. I mean, imagine walking up to, say, a Billy Graham. And he's about to die. You know, and I mean no disrespect. Billy Graham passed away, and he's at home in glory, and I'm happy for him. But imagine walking up to Billy Graham. And he's about to go. And he says, well, what can I do for you? I want twice the Holy Spirit you had. Right? That seems a little much, doesn't it? 
And Elijah, Elijah goes, huh, that's a tough thing. But hey, if you see me go, then you're going to get it. And essentially what Elisha was asking for was the inheritance of the firstborn son. Because uh, remember, the firstborn son, if you had three kids, your firstborn got twice as much as the other two. So as they're walking, they're having a conversation. I would really be curious to know what they were talking about. Just said as they continued on and talked, out of nowhere, a chariot that's on fire with horses that are on fire show up, separate them. Elijah gets taken, and Elisha knows. And so this is, of course, is God answering Elisha's request. Now, he shows that this took place because he walks back with Elijah's poncho. And he smacks the water and says, where is the God of Israel? And this is, right, this is not some kind of, right, well, if you're really there, right, that is not what Elisha is doing. He's just saying, all right. I saw it, which means now I have a double portion. All right, God, show it. Right? Can you show it? And he did. He's going to show it a few more times um, with one of my favorite accounts in the Old Testament. I say that way too often. Um, but it, this one, really, it's really good when we get there. Now, there are three times we see someone taken up to heaven in Scripture. We, saw, we talked about Enoch. That's back in Genesis 5. Elijah here. And then Jesus, after his resurrection. Uh, remember, in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus was taken up and they're standing there staring up. And an angel appears to them and goes, what are you doing? Didn't he tell you to go back to Galilee? Same Jesus that you saw, he's going to return in like manner. It tells them to go do what they were told. I find that Interesting. Remember, everything in Scripture is established by two or three witnesses. And while, like, we've talked about this, we talked about it recently on Sunday, uh, a few weeks back, there are a lot of differing thoughts on the end times timeline. But I think God shows us that there are some who don't die, they just go home. Which is what's going to happen in the rapture. Now, I think it's a bit of a stretch to say Elijah being taken up in a chariot of fire here proves that the view of a pre-tribulation rapture is accurate. Uh, I think there's other biblical evidence for that. But it's interesting. Remember, nothing's in the Bible by accident. God had a reason for taking Elijah that way. I, I don't know that it's that, but he had a reason. Verse 15. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And Elisha said, you don't send anyone. But they urged him till he was ashamed. And he said, fine, send them. Therefore they sent 50 men and they searched for three days but did not find him. When they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I say to you, do not go? 
I find this uh, really interesting. Uh, Elisha believed that Elijah had been taken up. But the rest of the prophets, even though they told Elisha, you know your, your master's going to be taken from you today. He goes, yeah, I know, shut up. Um, here, now they, and, and it's possible from the way this is laid out here that they actually saw Elijah taken up. So why not just let it go? But they keep badgering Elisha until he feels bad about it. You're like, well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, fine, go. And they come back, and when they come back, he says, I told you so. Verse 19. On the very same day, Elisha is established as a prophet. Are you ready? Verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city. It's pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. So they brought it to them, to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. So he heals the water with salt, which remained healed under the day of the writing of Second Kings. And actually, I was, I was listening to Pastor Chuck on this. And you can still go to the well uh, that is there in Jericho that they believe is the same well, and that the water is still good. Um, but at the very least, there may have been a couple hundred years from the time Jeremiah compiled this. Now, salt was used to purify. Recall, they would, they would salt meat so it wouldn't spoil. They would salt babies to kill infection. That's a practice I think that modern medicine should just take back up. Could you just imagine, here's your newborn baby, and the doctor's got a salt shaker. What are you doing? Just cleaning him up. It's all right, don't worry about it. In Matthew 5.13, we're told, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. By the Holy Spirit's work in us, we as followers of Christ are to be the salt of the earth. We are to have a purifying influence in our world. Right? It's the same with being light. We are to shine the light of Christ into this world. And it says, if the salt doesn't do that, then what good is it? And I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad. There's been plenty of times where I could have been saltier. Of course, there's been plenty of times I've been too salty. But we're all called to be that type of influence in our world. Now, verse 23 these three verses, biblical perfection. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Apparently, Elisha was bald. So he turned around and he looked at them and he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. <laughs> this is one of those places that you just, what? 
You know, and, and first, keep in mind that when it says youths here, it was probably teenagers. So it's not like five years old. Oh, look at that guy's got a bald head. It was probably, you know, bratty junior hires or something. Preteens or teenagers going, oh, go up there. Walk up the road, baldy. Walk up the road. Elisha turns around and says, that was a bad idea. The Lord's going to curse you. Oh, yeah, right. Whatever. Two female bears come out and take care of 42 of them. When I was in Bible college, one of the things that they teach us about interpreting scripture is, you know, know what it says, know what it means, and know how to apply it. What does it say? They made fun of the bald guy and got eaten by a bear. What does it mean? They made fun of a bald guy and they got eaten by a bear. How do we apply it? Don't make fun of bald guys or you might get eaten by a bear. If you'd only got a single portion, then there would only have been one bear. One bear and only 21 guys, right, would have, would have been eaten. Whatever the case, <laughs> it's always a bad idea to mock other people, but still. I don't know why. I've, I've, read, I've read that passage so many times. I laugh every single time. Now, those boys weren't laughing. That's what they get for making fun of bald people. Uh, next week, we're actually going to get to look at the rebellion that was referenced in the first verse of chapter 1. We're going to look at some of what that looked like. Um, until then, let's pray. My God, please help us to have a heart after yours. One where we want to see the lost saved and have no desire to call fire down upon them. There are many things in this world that could easily be burned by your justice. But we are among those, and it's only by your grace and your love and your redemption and your forgiveness and your cleansing that we have been freed from such judgment and given the gift of salvation and eternal life in Jesus. Thank you, Father. May we walk the rest of this week in your power and for your glory. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen.